Hello, I'm Donald Johannesson, and thanks for joining me on Speaking Out. The busy time of the year for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders has started with NAIDOC Week, National Sorry Day, the anniversary of the 1967 referendum, and Reconciliation Week. Uh, for me in Australia, it's about you know the general population understanding more about us as blackfellas and to understand that we were here before Europeans arrived for tens of thousands of years beforehand. We still maintain our culture. We are a, a unique people, but we're a people of many different nations. That's Tom Kelmer, co-chair of Reconciliation Australia, coming up later in the program. But first, here's a song. This is Bart Willoughby, Don't Knock the Block. Uh, Don't Knock the Block, a uh, song that I did uh, with the help of uh, Christine Levy, who, who had a poll about Redfern, and I was looking at I uh, had this tune, uh, but I didn't have words. And then one day we met, and I looked at a poem, and it fit exactly to uh, the music. And so that's how Don't Knock the Block was put together. Uh, could I have done it uh, by myself? No. It needed um, outside information to look into it. Uh, it. It couldn't It couldn't look from the inside out because it was entrapped. And if you're entrapped, if you're from the inside and looking out, it, 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 it just doesn't get out. The, the information's got to come from the outside to describe what's happening inside, right? And that's what Don't Knock the Block is about, Redfern. And besides, it's not there no more. Uh, it's a film set for black films. I don't know how did that ended up being a film set for black films. So don't knock the blocks about red food. In a bit of a strife The community was always there For black fellas Got for them said it was their land 1973 IHC and APSIC They controlled the money They want to turn the block Into the land of milk and honey Vandalise this place And see the place as value real estate Olympic and CBDs are close Greedy ones cannot wait Say there is time for redevelopment But the residents have no say on How the money should be spent Demolition, constructing a theater in plan Residents want the planners to listen To their demand Redfern residents want decent house right there no dispossession and the special like the 200 years 
They want the opportunity to work on site. Skill, trade, learn on the job will help put things right. Development should be a part. No heroin dealers in the goddamn park. The block should be a place where curry people work and live. Show us the richness that their culture has to give. Listen to what they've got to say. Always two sides to one story. Don't judge a book by its cover. Let justice be for what it is. To one story. Don't judge a book by its cover. Let justice be for what it is. That's Bart Willoughby with Don't Knock the Block. There's sure to be an unsung hero in your local community. Someone who's making a difference, finding ways to improve people's lives through their work. I'm Juliet Wright, and I was honoured to be named Australia's local hero for 2015. I started Give It, an online platform to connect those that have with those in need. You can recognise someone making a difference by nominating them online. Just visit australianoftheyear.org.au before August 1st. It's National Reconciliation Week across Australia, and it's time for all Australians to reflect on our nation's history and the reconciliation journey. Speaking out, Kerry Lee Harding was joined by Dr Tom Kelmer, co-chair of Reconciliation Australia, and first asked, what does reconciliation mean to him? Well, look, uh, to me personally, I think it's a very important move, and we've seen some great reconciliation movements around the world, um, you know, from Canada and and reconciling with the Indigenous peoples to the work that uh, South Africa did, Uh, and they're all different sort of uh, reconciliation movements. Uh, for me in Australia, it's about you know the general population understanding more about us as blackfellas and uh, and to understand that we were here before uh, Europeans arrived for for you know tens of thousands of years beforehand. We still maintain our culture. We are a, a unique people, but we're a people of many different nations uh, within the nation. And so um, it's really about sharing that and helping people understand and therefore gain a respect because. One of the big problems is that, you know, for the majority of uh, non-Indigenous Australians, they've not met an Indigenous person, 
and their knowledge is, has been developed by what they um, you know, gain from mainstream media or newspapers. And so it's about how do we put the real story out there, the story about us by us, as you do in, in, in your program and, and the Corey radios and TVs and so forth do. It's about putting our picture out there. So it's about how does mainstream Australia reconcile with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the First Peoples? Tom, you've been involved in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs in this country at a local level, community, state, national and international for some 40 years. What are some of your earliest memories of the reconciliation movement in this country? Well, I think long before it was um, known as Reconciliation Week, um, you know, um, going back to the time when when the nation came together, and I was only a young fellow then in, in the 1967 referendum, um, you know, when, when we got, the, you know, the majority of Australians in the referendum voted to to uh, support, um, you know, the, the government, the Commonwealth government, getting more involved in Aboriginal affairs. And so that was really one of the big reconciliation movements. Um, but I know that during NAIDOC week is a, is a great example of reconciliation where, you know, started off with us as Aboriginal trusted on the people um, trying to educate the community to now we see a lot of non-Indigenous Australians walking with us um, during NAIDOC week and sharing the celebration with us. And so that, that's what reconciliation is about. I was very lucky growing up in Darwin um, because we were a very, very multicultural um, community up there. So because we've got a very high Aboriginal population uh, compared to the general population, um, you know, it's a different uh, relationship. And so through the sporting, uh, through the business, um, through schooling, you know, we were, uh, we've worked together. And so, um, yeah, that's really what we're, what, what reconciliation is about is about sharing and understanding our knowledges. I'm Kerry Lee Harding and you're listening to Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio and I'm with Dr Tom Kalmer, current co-chair of Reconciliation Australia. And reconciliation is something that has been happening for many years now and would it be fair for me to say that we could actually go back to the 1930s where we did see reconciliation in action from some of our past Aboriginal elders? We had many great elders, Tom, uh, who walked before us, including Sir Pastor Douglas Nichols, whom along with Jack Patton in the early days, and William Ferguson, Pastor Douglas Nichols, along with uh, Pearl Gibbs, uh, they all attended the day of mourning protest uh, on January 26, 1938. They did. And that's the struggle that we've been around for a long time. And that's the sort of information we want to share with people. I think the, 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 the difference is that in those days, we were walking alone. And um, we had more people um, you know, challenging us than we did in um, people who, who walk with us. And that's the, the significant difference, uh, excuse me, and that's the significant difference to where we are today, where we're able to, um, uh, to share the, the journey with a whole lot of people. And, and people are interested to learn about us. And you know, uh, we can we can see a lot of our history has been, you know, um, not always good in relation to reconciliation. We know that, um, you know, our servicemen and women who went overseas and and they fought beside each other, they came back to Australia and they weren't given fair treatment, and so that was a real big issue that we have to contend with, and that that was sort of almost anti-reconciliation, but we're now, where we're walking together, we're recognising and respecting. And they're the two big words, is to recognise and respect 
and that's what uh, the general population is is getting behind in, in understanding more and more about us. And from the times we walked across the bridge um, in 2000, uh, we walked together to, you know, how we all stood together and heard the apology together and um, educated the community, which was really a massive uh, reconciliation effort um, for the community to understand who we were and, and um, what we did um, in the past and how we've lived and, and the atrocities that have been levelled on us as a people and and too often the you know governments hit a lot of this and so the general population didn't understand and, and you can understand that because we didn't have the television that we do have now which can give instant coverage and so as we the, we become more media savvy and people are getting more access it's also opening a lot of doors which are helping out in in the reconciliation movement and we just urge you know some of the mainstream media to start to get behind and and celebrate the successes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people instead of always taking that negative approach to highlighting the failures of a few Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Not the majority of us, a few of us. And, you know, and I think we're winning that battle. And, Tom, you're the current co-chair of Reconciliation Australia. Can you tell us about your role and what you actually do there? Oh, look, it, yeah, it's, it's an honorary role um, and um, we get a very small... Um, uh, consideration for the role for the extra work that we do the, as co-chairs um, but by and large it's um, it's a voluntary role as as are the board and so as co-chairs um, our prime responsibility is to um, control the governance of, of Reconciliation Australia and um, and also be involved in in one of our um, associated activities and that's the recognised campaign and um, my my co-chair Melinda Salento uh, takes that responsibility with uh, in looking after the recognise campaign with with the two co-directors of um, uh, the campaign managers in in Tanya Nosh, uh, Tanya Hosh and um, and Tim. So so it's um, you know they're important activities, but but we also provide that level of guidance uh, to the CEO who in turn passes it on to staff. So. So uh, we look at the big picture stuff as a governance organisation and uh, and committee, and um, and the CEO of the organisation, he puts our wishes into action, and um, and uh, through through the staff. So we've got a very very good dedicated uh, staff with Reconciliation Australia, and uh, we have had over many years some very dedicated staff who who don't get paid a lot, but um, they do it because they love the job that they're doing and they know they're making a difference. There are now many companies and organisations and community groups right across Australia who've been taking the lead. They've created their own wraps. For those of us who may not know what a wrap is, could you explain that for us, please, Tom? A, a wrap is it's a reconciliation action plan. But they're, they're a, a plan that the organisation uh, develops with RA staff, but it really belongs to the organisation, and they have some very clear ideas about what they want to do to progress reconciliation and so the, the the reconciliation action plan really does put the discipline behind their ideas so that everybody in the organization knows and understands what the organization ethos is and how they're going to uh, get involved in reconciliation so it, it takes many different forms some of it is where where um, organizations um, you know employ Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, they might engage uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander businesses to, to procure goods off them. 
um, or services. Uh, they might do a workplace um, giving program which helps develop scholarships. Money that they collect goes towards scholarships or other projects. So it can take take many of these forms, but it also helps them to know that, okay, they want to um, welcome, do welcome to country and acknowledge that they're on the land of, of an Aboriginal tribal group, um, wherever they are across the nation, to to um, uh, celebrating NAIDOC week, National Reconciliation Week, uh, Close the Gap Day, all of these significant events for um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and reconciliation, um, we get behind it. And that's the importance of of this current period that we're in, uh, which is National Reconciliation Week. And so so many of our organisations, and we've got over five, near, close to 590, just over 590 uh, organisations have reconciliation action plans and probably another 500 are in development. So they're a very significant um, body of work around the nation. And I really applaud those people who get involved. And, you know, what's important, and we, we really drive this home to organisations, this is not a, you know, a blackfella plan. This is an organisational plan that works with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in a in a respectful way, and so the organisation runs it, and we as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we provide advice on how how that reconciliation action plan goes. But they're generally led by the most senior people in the organisation who want to get behind it, and that's great because it changes it changes the attitudes of people working. Within those organisations, they become much more informed about about uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs. You know, they they get to know that if you want to get good news, um, listen to an Aboriginal broadcaster or you know a mainstream broadcaster that talks and has um, uh, you know uh, commentators and and uh, presenters from an Aboriginal perspective. You know, the NITVs, the Karmas, these sort of groups. Um, you know, uh, are really important to get a. Uh, a perspective of Aboriginal affairs that you won't get through through generally mainstream reporting. So, you know, that, that's what Reconciliation Action Plans are about. Dr Tom Kelmer, AO and co-chair of Reconciliation Australia, joined by Speaking Out's Kerry Lee Harding. Coming up, the Queensland Indigenous Languages Forum held in Bundaberg last week. Uh, when I was about 13, I said to Dad, um, when are you going to teach me the lingo? And uh, he said, boy, it's a white man's world now. He said, you don't need it. Uh, I disagree with him then, I disagree with him now. But next, a prominent member of the Aboriginal community in Brisbane, Mr Sam Watson. Speaking out. Indigenous culture, lifestyle and current affairs. I'm Donald Johannesson and you're listening to Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia. This week was National Sorry Day on May 26. Sam Watson is a prominent member of the Aboriginal community in Brisbane and was joined by Rebecca Levingston in her 612 local radio drive program to talk about the meaning behind National Sorry Day. Oh, since the beginning of uh, the European presence on this country, um, there has been uh, liaisons between uh, European men and Aboriginal women. They produced uh, children uh, who had mixed blood, and from the early days right through the 1970s, 1980s, the authorities felt that uh, those children should be forcibly removed from the Aboriginal encampments and brought up in uh, strict and regulated environments within the uh, European uh, environment. So, for example, we saw that uh, played out in that uh, famous movie, The Rabbit Proof Fence, where 
the children, those three girls from the Jigalong community, were forcibly removed, taken down to that settlement at Moore River in West Australia. And those three young girls heroically uh, went walked back to their mother's country by following the rabbit-proof fence. And that story is replicated right across the six states and the Northern Territory. So Aboriginal children have been forcibly removed uh, since those very early days, since the 1780s, 1790s. In every single state and territory in Australia. That's right. And it's just now these stories are coming forward. And as chairman of uh, Link Up Queensland, uh, we are working with members of the Stolen Generation every day of the week. We are still having people walk through our doors uh, throughout the state, uh, needing our help to try to reconnect with families, with communities, just to find out who they really are. Sam Watson is my guest, uh, talking about National Sorry Day. Who initiated the apology? Um, Well, the Royal Commission back in uh, 1995 uh, travelled throughout Australia uh, with Sir Ronald Wilson as the chair and took evidence and submissions from Aboriginal people and authorities uh, from many different communities and brought down the report in 1997. And there were 54 recommendations. Uh, They looked at... uh, they looked at the, the issues and they looked at the questions and they found that up to 33% uh, to 40% of all Aboriginal people had been affected by the, the forced removal. So right across Australia, uh, every family, no matter whether they're brought up in the, the more remote communities or in the heart of the urban environment, uh, they were still impacted upon by those forced removals. And even with my, within my own family, we, we have people who are forcibly removed to places like Sherberg, Warabinda and Palm Island. And, uh, and people spent generations trying to reconnect with family, um, trying to reconnect with culture and community just to find out exactly who they were and rediscover uh, that life story they'd lost. And in your work with LinkUp, are you able to reconnect people with their families or I, I imagine in some cases it's not like there's clear documentation. Oh, we've got an incredibly gifted and incredibly committed research team up here at LinkUp and uh, they are really great at what they do. We've had terrific uh, cooperation from the government authorities. Uh, to give you an example, just down here at, uh, at Hill End, there was a home there called the Cranbrook House that operated back in the late 1890s and early 1900s. And that home was one of those dormitories institutions where young Aboriginal girls were forcibly removed to. And our researchers at LinkUp were able to actually find, in the lead up to this week, actually able to find living descendants of, of uh, three of those girls who are in Cranbrook House. So they're amazing people and it's just so fulfilling uh, for everyone who's involved with LinkUp to be able to be involved in, in reunions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes very tragically, uh, some of these reunions have to take place at, uh, at grave sites because uh, unfortunately family members have passed on. But uh, for so many of our reunions, uh, it brings together family members who haven't seen each other for 40 or 50 years. And uh, to be a part of that, uh, we not only have to be very cognizant of the emotional uh, and deeper impacts upon the uh, the well-being of our our workers, but we also sorry our families, but we also have to be be careful about uh, the impacts on our staff as well because it's a very emotional journey to to go through that. Uh, but it's also very uh, richly uh, rewarding and fulfilling. You would think that there would be um, some elements of healing there, but do you also see a lot of elements of anger and and, and sort uh, of resentment towards? 
what happened? I can honestly say that in all the years I've been involved with LinkUp, um, that uh, not one of those older aunties or uncles who worked with us uh, has ever expressed any anger uh, or any uh, any desire to seek some sort of redress. They're just uh, so thrilled to be able to actually hold and hug their own family members and move on with their lives. So they're just amazing people. They've got this deep inner strength that's uh, just so inspirational to us all. Sam Watson, a prominent member of the Aboriginal community in Brisbane, talking to 612 local radio drive presenter Rebecca Levingston. This is Speaking Out. If you'd like to podcast the show later or previous shows, find the podcast links at abc.net.au slash speaking out. Retain and revitalise, two words that describe the goals of the Queensland Indigenous Languages Forum, which was held in Bundaberg last week. ABC Wide Bay's Scott Lamond was there and he caught up with Richard Johnson about his mission not to lose his traditional language. This is Richard Johnson's story. I'm a Gurung Gurung man um, after my grandfather and uh, my father. and um, They were born on, on country in uh, this region. Um, my grandfather in the late uh, 1850s, uh, 1560s. My father up at the Boyne Valley at a place called Daboon. Uh, which is um, um, west of Gladstone, southwest of Gladstone. Uh, I was born in uh, Gladstone myself, um, sixty odd years ago, and um, I've lived all my life upon country. And so uh, uh, my uh, clan group is the uh, Bolgwin Bolgwin, which is the red flying fox, and our uh, tribal uh, totem is the owl. You're in Bundaberg, and I'm talking to you at a forum all about retaining and revitalising language and, and native language. Your grandfather and, and your father, what would their reaction be about the language and the depth that there is amongst your people today? Uh, first of all, um, I'll tell you a little story about uh, a time I asked my dad uh, when I was about 13. I said to dad, um, when are you going to teach me the lingo? And uh, he said, boy, it's a white man's world now. He said, you don't need it. Uh, I disagree with him then, I disagree with him now, and I think he'd be pleasantly surprised to see what is happening uh, in our region in the um, resurgence of our language. And uh, me being at um, uh, a leadership uh, role in uh, helping to uh, put that in place, I think uh, he'd be very happy. So he'll be proud, and he might eat his words as well, but why did you disagree with the old man then? Why? Why were you so passionate about retaining your, your language? I think to um, understand that you'd have to um, listen to the story of uh, when I grew up in Gladstone. As I grew up in the 50s and 60s, uh, there was only a couple of um, foreign families around the area. They were uh, mainly Greek and uh, Russians, um, some Danish people as well. But um, in the, in the, from 1965, there was an ins, uh uh, a whole range of different nationalities started to come to construct the um, uh, alumina plant and um, there was people from all over the world and many of these came speaking their own language, language not understanding English all that well and, um, and I used to listen to these guys and I, and, I, and I really appreciated the fact that they could um, stand around together and speak in their language and, um, and I really appreciated the fact that... Uh, um, uh, I'd basically lost mine, and uh, here I was having this opportunity to listen to them and uh, have a talk with them and, as well about their, their language. 
it was then I, I, I realised that um, um, somewhere along the line I'm going to have to, uh, when I finally get married and have uh, children and grandchildren, that um, I would make a concerted effort to, uh, to uh, teach my kids language. And um, so I've got 10 grandchildren today. They've all got uh, um, Aboriginal names and, um, and, and they know a bit more about the language and the dance than uh, I was ever taught, although I did see some of our older people um, and hear them talk language. I used to meet in the backyard at my family home there at Varney Point in Gladstone. And uh, a lot of the old fellows who came through used to come and visit Dad. He had a, um, a position of uh, respect within the, within the group. And they'd come and meet with him. And they'd all be sitting down the backyard laughing and talking in lingo. <laughs> and I'd be sitting behind a tree somewhere trying to pick up different words. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, it stemmed from there. Yeah. Um, and um, my grandkids today, as I said, uh, initially they didn't like the idea of having uh, funny sounding names at school. They used to get teased a bit. And I said, look, um, there's only one of you in the world. I said, there's no one else who has the same uh, things as you. Your name is completely different to anybody else you'll ever meet. And so uh, accept it and, um, uh, and embrace it. And um, they do. And today, uh, uh, I must say that uh, when I talk to the school about my one of my grandsons, uh, I only got to mention his first name and they know who it is. Mm. And so, uh, you know, it's always already had a positive effect um, uh, in the wider uh, community. ABC Wide Bay's Scott Lamont talking to Richard Johnson about his personal mission not to lose his traditional language in Bundaberg. That's it for another week, and if you've missed our main story with Dr Tom Kelmer, co-chair of Reconciliation Australia, he was joined by Speaking Out's Kerry Lee Harding. Uh, for me in Australia, it's about you know the general population understanding more about us as blackfellas and, uh, and to understand that we were here before uh, Europeans arrived. And to listen to more programs and stories, you can subscribe free to Speaking Out on iTunes to hear past and current programs. I'm Donald Johannesson and this has been Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia. Radio Australia.